At InDigital, we know that public safety professionals hold themselves to a high standard. In fact, standard doesn't do it justice. In over 25 years working alongside you, carrying millions of calls over our IP networks, your dedication has inspired us. That's why our ESI net goes beyond industry standards, not only I3 compliant, but designed to adapt to future development for a network you can count on when it matters most. Learn more at indigital.net. Have you ever met a 911 professional and asked, what's the worst call you've ever taken? Well, here's your answer. I heard your last breath the night you flipped your four-wheeler. I tried to call you the day you committed suicide by driving your car into a tree. Blue face, cold to the touch. I helped you with CPR after you found your infant face down, not breathing. It messed me up. I did everything I could, but it wasn't enough. You were with me from the beginning, Grandma. 27 years later, I took the 911 call when you died. How fitting to be there for me in the beginning, and I was there for you in the end. I miss you, Grandma. I am 911. This is but a glimpse into the world of emergency dispatch, but what is it really like to answer a call during someone's nightmare? What is the impact on the first responder answering the call? From Titletown Publishing, and available on Amazon or where you purchase your favorite books and ebooks. Imagine listening. Your worst day is our everyday. If Within the Trenches has ever taught you something, open your eyes to what it is like to be a 9 dispatcher or has inspired you to become one, then help support us and join our Patreon. Get exclusive bonus content, one-of-a-kind swag, discounts on merchandise, ad-free early access to new episodes, and much more. To join, please visit patreon.com slash wttpodcast. And if you're an industry partner, we have something for you as well. And now for the show. This is Jordan, and you're listening to the Code 7 Podcast Network. Warning. This episode contains the three A's of podcasting. Adult content, adult language, and awesomeness. You've been warned. Within the Trenches, true stories from the 911 dispatchers who live them. Hey, hey, what's going on? This is Ricardo with the Code 7 Podcast Network, and this is going to be Within the Trenches, true stories from the 911 dispatchers who live them. This episode is sponsored by InDigital, a leader next-gen core services, and a big shout-out to subscribers of the podcast. As always, thank you. Whether you are on Patreon or Facebook, thank you so, so very much, but especially all of you who are here watching, listening, supporting, and sharing just all of it. Thank you so, so very much. It is November 13th. And time is going by fast, especially with this episode. This episode, I think there are like three episodes in front of this one, maybe something like that. <laughs> and there's a lot, uh, there's a lot coming up. There's a lot, um, I have going on in just under a month will be dare to be great five. Actually, probably by the time this comes out. It'll be around Dare to Be Great 5 when it comes up. So if you have not registered, make sure to do so. And uh, you can go to withinthetrenches.net and you can find all of the information there. And uh, you've got all the speakers, industry partners, you know, sponsors, all of that good stuff is going to be there. There's going to be over 30 hours worth of 
free continuing education from amazing speakers from all over our profession in 911. So make sure to check that out. Also, I've put together a new community, building this community before it was on Discord. And a lot of people seem to have, uh, you know, some issues and stuff with it. And, um, I needed to find a different spot to start to build this community. There are followers across all social media platforms. So basically what this does or what I'm trying to do with it is have focus, concentrated communication and networking and just all types of things, but for everyone across all platforms to come to one platform and uh, we can all continue the conversation there especially with there to be great. A lot of times people in the comments or in the chat, rather the real time chat, everyone is in there talking and they want to get a hold of each other afterwards. Sometimes people don't want to put their email out there for everyone that's there since it's an open forum. So that's why we have the new within the trenches media community that is powered by circle. So you'll see that link going out there for people to join. And it's, it's not just during virtual event time. It's going to be for year round, uh, for all types of discussions. So make sure to look out for all of that. Very excited for that. Um, again, a lot of awesome episodes coming up, excellent guests and, uh, merch, a bunch of different merch that's getting, uh, that's getting added. And I do want to give a shout out to my homie. Uh, Josephine uh, Rios of Latinas of 911. She hooked me up with a shirt, and right there, where she put Latinos of 911, Latinos 911, one is not enough. Make sure to check out Latinas of 911. She's the founder and uh, she's doing a lot of cool stuff. So make sure to uh, check her out and everything that she's doing. And I think that's everything. <laughs> I believe that's everything. Woo, man. A lot of stuff to, uh, to announce and talk about and everything else that's going on. And, uh, I'm excited to have my guest on today. And, uh, you know, we were, we were friends already on, uh, social media. And then we got to meet at the Arkansas conference, which was just a, a couple of weeks ago. And it was awesome. Had an excellent time there. And we're going to talk a little bit about that stuff, but also, we are going to learn more about my guest. So my guest today is Desiree, and she's a CTO and telecommunicator three out of Bentonville, PD, Arkansas. Hey, yep. thank you. <laughs> hey, hey, how's it going? Oh, it's fabulous. How are you? I'm doing all right. It's it's been uh, it's been pretty good. It it's not uh, it's not snowing anymore over here. <laughs> it's it's actually pretty nice i mean as you can see like the the sun is out and everything and it's actually 60 degrees which is nice but on halloween there was actually like fat flakes like snowflakes it was super cold my daughter was dressed as a uh my older daughter rather was dressed as like a warrior elf from uh lord of the rings she looked awesome and it was freezing and we, and we kept telling her or asking her, do you want your jacket? Do you want to put on your jacket? And she goes, no, I can't because it'll take away from the authenticity of my costume. 
Yes, I've been there. I've, I've, my kids did the same exact thing. Yeah. Put a jacket over the Halloween costumes. It changes everything. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty funny. And every time I would look over at her and she's like, (laughs) (laughs) just shivering and stuff, she would go, no, no, I don't, I don't want it, dad. I don't. (laughs) I was like, okay, just all right. We're almost back to the house (laughs) and then you can be warm. Oh man. But no, everything has been, uh, good. And, you know, as I was kind of talking already about the conference, let's, let's start with the conference here. So you, uh, were working with the, the committee and everything, putting all types of stuff together. You were working the, uh, you know, that front, uh, table where everybody was coming in to register and stuff. Was that your first time? doing that with the conference or have you done that over a few years now? So with the Arkansas APCO and Nina, it was my first time joining their committee for this conference. This was my second conference to go to. And mm-hmm. I loved the first one that I went to, which was uh, in 2022, we were in Paris, Arkansas, and it was really great. Really enjoyed it. And I just kind of took a leap of faith and was like, you know what? I really want to be more involved in all of this and be a kind of a bigger part of it. So I had sent some emails and got into some contact with them and joined their committee to help pretty much just organize and put together that whole conference. Awesome. That is excellent. It was in a a great place. My good friend Dawn and I were there and we both, I think we, I think she had three classes as well because I, I had three and, uh, we just, we had a lot of fun there with everyone. The rooms were great. And, uh, you know, the, the attendees, the audience, but all of you as well with the committee, you just, you made us feel very much at home. And those are the conferences that I love, uh, to go to are the ones that you feel like family, like you get in there and it feels like family already very welcoming. The hospitality is amazing. And, uh, I think it, it, you know, it helps with the networking, but it also brings everyone together to be more open to talk as well. Because a lot of times at conferences, you've got little groups that are with each other, right? And they don't ever leave each other. But when you're, when you're at a conference where it feels like family, it allows everyone to just kind of come together and feel comfortable and just be open. It does. And that's something we really try to focus on. That's pretty much one of the very first things we try to convey to everybody when we even start our conferences is, look, we are all the same. We are all part of the same family. We're doing the same job. So let's get out of our bubbles. While, yes, we all show up there with our respected organizations, let's get to know some other ones. Because what we're going through, somebody else might have gone through before and know how to get past it. And being able to make those connections can kind of open up some more possibilities and resources and ways to kind of cope with some of the everyday stress that we go through with this job. I love that. And I fully agree because I always tell people when you're going to conferences or even trainings and such, it's all about the networking. Because like you were saying, you know, you do find out that you're dealing with the same stuff that's, you know, going on everywhere. You know, when I, when I first left dispatch, and was uh was working as an industry partner i was traveling to different dispatch centers and training them how to use different phone systems text 911 platforms all different types of things and one of the things i noticed right away is that every dispatch center has their own chair graveyard 
<laughs> I don't I don't know I don't know what it is but every dispatch center has one of their own and cuz my dispatch center we had jeez probably like 5 or 6 maybe chairs that were just along the wall and there was one that was completely like brutalized just destroyed like the the arm um <laughs> pieces were like ripped apart and the cushion was destroyed, but everyone wanted to use it. And uh, they they kept it. It was still there. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't I don't understand, but that was one of the things that I noticed right away is that everyone has their own version of it. Might not be the same amount of chairs, but everyone has their favorites and just mm -hmm. they sometimes hide them and they return. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's freaking crazy but i i had an excellent time there at the conference and i just thank you thank you and everybody there who uh just made it such a great great time so uh for those who are watching and listening if you have not ever gone to the arkansas conference you need to because that was an excellent excellent time so let's go back in time actually Okay. And let's find out a little bit more about yourself because you have about three and a half years in public safety now, right? Yes. So how did you start to begin with? Um, so I've always been one for helping people. I, I started off doing that years and years and years ago and took a step back because I was raising kids and wanting to do the financial thing. So I actually spent 15 years working in the factory settings mm. and, uh, about three and a half, four years ago, I was just kind of tired of it, burnout. Um, they were going odd, uh, robotic for everything. So it was like my job was obsolete. Um, I went out on a whim and just was like, you know what? I don't know that I'll ever actually get this chance, but I'm going to apply for it. So I had seen a post on Indeed for Bentonville's dispatch and I had read the requirements and I was like, I actually meet all of those. So why not? You just never know. I was convinced in my head that that kind of job required a college degree and everything like that. I had no inkling that I would ever be able to take a job like that. So I, I applied. They called me up. I tested and everything. And funny thing is, is the test I did amazing on typing. I am horrible at typing. Hate typing. I'm horrible at it. So <laughs> make the first round of interviews. So this is in the middle of 2020. When COVID had hit and everything was really horrible at that time. So a couple months go by and they call me up and want to do a Zoom interview with me. And so I do the Zoom interview with them and everything. And then they go on through the next step and was like, you know what? Here, uh, let's go through background. Two months goes by again. <laughs> and they finally finish my background. They offer me a job and I was slotted to start in June of 2020 to become a dispatcher and it has been a whirlwind ever since. And I have hit the ground running with this and have loved every second of it. Jeez. Holy crap. Okay. So let's back up a little bit here. <laughs> it seems okay. So it seems like it went really fast. I, I mean, it was two months, right? More than that. Right. Yeah. And that part wasn't fast, but it just, it seems almost like a, you know, just kind of a whirlwind. So let's go. You know, so if you don't mind me asking, in the factory setting, what was it that you were doing? 
So I did a lot of quality assurance mm -hmm. and uh, just making sure the last job, I, I actually worked for Little Debbie's. And so I was working on the line <laughs> that made what? the cake. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to make like the Christmas tree cakes that everybody loves this time of year and stuff like that. So I did that. And a lot of what we do was checking the quality and making sure that we're packaging everything correctly. Uh, in prior factory settings that I've done, that was my job with quality assurance and working with the USDA and just making sure that we were staying up to compliance. So how many hours were you working? Anywhere from eight to 16 hours. Okay. So here's my question. <laughs> Do you feel like what you were doing before in a way kind of prepared you for what you are doing now in a sense? Yes, I I think so. Um, I actually feel like now is a lot more strenuous on me than what I was doing before. Um, while physical exhaustion is something I had gotten used to with working in the factory, being on my feet for eight to 16 hours, uh, you know, constantly moving and walking, constantly on the go, hot and cold temperatures. I was used to that for many years. While I might not be physically exhausted from my job now, I now understand more of an emotional and mental exhaustion that I had no idea even existed until I started working this job. Oh, geez. So in, in, in the reason I ask about, um, you know, the, the fa uh, factory work and everything is because before I started in dispatch back in 2001, um, I was, I too was working in a factory. Now, on, on top of, uh, or before that, it was all, you know, retail management experience. But in between there, there was a stint where I was working on an assembly line, putting together office chairs. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, that was pretty interesting. But working as a team and also multitasking with all the different stuff that we were doing and just, just all of it. Between that and then the retail management with having pissed off customers come in sometimes because, I don't know, they wanted a return or they felt as though they didn't get the discount they deserved or whatever. All of that combined really helped me for what I was doing in dispatch. So that's why I was asking you if you felt like um, it was the same way. Because, I mean, you were already working those hours, right? You've got the quality mm -hmm. assurance and stuff, which can also kind of translate a little bit to what you're doing CTO style and and everything else. So there's a lot of different elements that you were already doing that kind of prepared you for coming into public safety. Yes, uh, definitely. Multitasking was definitely a big one. I never really thought a whole lot about multitasking or what I was doing was considered multitasking until I took this kind of work. And then it's like, okay, wait, no, now I can't function if I don't multitask. I have to do multiple things at one time or it nothing gets done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I know exactly what you mean. Sometimes it just feels like I'm not being productive enough if I'm not multitasking or I have a bunch of stuff going on, then I just, I will sometimes sit here and I'll look at the wall and think, what am I doing? Like, am I, am I supposed to be doing a couple more things or maybe should I just make something up <laughs> <laughs> just so that I can feel like accomplished, you know, like I've actually put something into it. So, you know, a lot of times people will say, or who have been on the show will say, you know, a friend I was talking to, they said, you should really check this out. But this was just you. 
this was all you just looking around and you saw it and you you took a shot and mm -hmm. so when you got a chance to go in was there uh and and this is in between like before the first day or whichever were you able to go in and do a sit-along or you just went in i just went in oh damn <laughs> yeah so they don't really, at the time, they weren't really doing sit-alongs or anything like that or really getting to observe it. Again, it was during mm -hmm. COVID, so a lot True. of restrictions were in place during that. Um, so it was very much, you know, you. I just went in with it. Um, they were very upfront about what to expect, even suggested some... Uh, like some audio recordings that were out on YouTube from other agencies, kind of a what not to do scenarios that had mm. been released in the news. They're like, you know, this could potentially happen. You need to hear this and make your decision before you come to us and say yes or no. Like they, it was kind of funny because I'm very much a, no, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to do. You're not going to tell me otherwise. <laughs> and so they were very adamant about having me go home and think about this for about three days before accepting their offer. And I was like, no, I don't need to think about it. You're not going to tell me I'm not going to like this. This is what I want. But I took their advice. I went home and I might not have taken the full three days. It was more like eight hours. But I went and I listened to the recordings and, you know, kind of hear uh, potentially what could have happened or, you know, what things have happened for other people and places and just kind of kept that in mind of the risk that comes in having a job like this, you know, the mistakes that we could make that could result in someone's life, you know, taking on that kind of responsibility and really making sure that I was okay with taking that responsibility and accepting that. Uh, consequence if that ever happened. Damn. So you end up listening to those, um, you know, those, those calls and such, were you blown away by it or were you, was it pretty much what you expected? I was pretty, I was pretty shocked by it. Um, because I honestly didn't know what to expect when coming into this. Um, even when I did finally sit on the floor for the first time, I was still kind of in shock with all of it. Um, but I was very blown away with it. A lot of it had to do with just what, because I wasn't listening to the positive. I wasn't listening to the calls that went good. Because like we all know, anything that gets put out on in media, like with the news or anything like that, is always going to be the negative. So what I'm hearing is negative. So all I can think of in my mind is, what brought this person to this level? You know, what caused them to get to this point? And now what do I need to do to make sure I never get there? And what signs do I need to look for? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not just on, you know, our side um, as, as a dispatcher and call taker, but also that specific caller where they're at, you know, how they, like you said, how they got to that point. And I think that's one of the things that's hard sometimes is even after the call, especially with the fact that we don't always get closure, you end up, if you have time, right? If you have time to really think about it. Um, it, it and I say this just from, uh, just from experience as well, but sometimes you, that kind of eats at you a little bit because you, we put ourselves, you know, in the caller's shoes or whichever, mm -hmm. whatever it is that they're going through. And, and you start to really connect and you're there 
in that moment with them. So then you start to think about it and you kind of get in your head a little bit, which sucks sometimes because if you don't have any other information, everybody's already out there and you don't get to learn anything afterwards. You're just kind of thinking, what else happened to this person? What else was it that they were dealing with? Would I ever be able to, you know, think about something like that or how like I can't even, or, or more so I can't even think about how somebody could get to that point, but it could happen to anybody. And, and those, some of those thoughts, you know, end up in your head and you just gotta kind of push it out a little bit and then take a breather and get right back in. Well, and that's something that we always say to people coming in and even to our coworkers is don't make their emergency your emergency. Right. Yeah. And it's extremely hard not to do that. And yes, in the moment we can, but we, we play connect the dots. We mm -hmm. hear everything. We don't necessarily get to see everything and we don't get a closure. So we make those, those connections ourselves. So while we're listening to everything going on, no, regardless what type of call it is, we're building that picture in our head, you know, and just like, you know, when we're listening to radio traffic and it's our officers on scene and there's a high intensity situation going with them on scene, we're building a picture of what's going on for them in, on, in our heads because that's the way we make that connection. You know, we can't help but do that. But being able to let that go and learning how to let that go is something that I feel like all agencies have to learn and teach people on how to do because that seems to be our biggest uh, fallback right now on being able to combat with the mental health and being able to stay on the positive side of dispatchers mental health on all of this. Yeah, I, I fully agree there because, you know, in, in the same sense, you know, that last year and a half that I was in dispatch was when I was really getting into breathing techniques, meditation, and all different kinds of things. And I was able to take those harder calls and even ones that I didn't have uh, or didn't get any closure on, you know, I could, I could practice what I was doing, sometimes even during the call. And then afterwards, it was easier for me to process everything and then, you know, continue to do what it is that I was doing and still be in a good spot. Years before that, though, before I learned all of that and, and, and really started paying attention to myself, right, putting that oxygen mask on first, so to speak, I didn't have that. Like, there, yeah. nobody was talking about it. And, and, and you did just kind of bottle it up. And, and it wasn't the best thing to do. It was <laughs> not a good thing to do. And that's why conversations like this are so important. And everything from about 2016 on to now things have been continuing to change and things are way better. And I just love that. I love that things are different now and that the 911 and having to do specifically with mental health and wellness is, is talked about a lot more and, and, and people are, are more open about it and everything and, and not afraid to say something because of that stigma that's out there. And, you know, it's not perfect. There's still places out there that are, that do have that stigma there, but things are changing and things are getting better. Now for you, when you walk in, since you didn't have a sit along or anything, especially because it's pandemic time, which is freaking crazy, right? <laughs> you going in for those who are watching and listening, um, can you kind of explain, like, what was that like for you walking in that first day? 
what is it that you see? Are there multiple people on the floor? Are there multiple monitors? Are, you know, people eating while they're dispatching and, and on the phone at the same time? Was it overwhelming? What was it like for you? So for me, yes, it was extremely overwhelming. It also felt like a, sen a sensory overload almost because you do have phones ringing, radio traffic going. There's at least four people in the room. Each person has at least seven monitors that they are operating off of. My first day, uh, I typically, we would have to do, we have to do what we call an academic phase and everything. So I was doing all my academic work that I had to do and I got done early with it that day. So I got to tether with somebody who was our working a console and was going to be taking phone calls. So I got to listen in to what was going on. This is the very first time I have listened to it live. Very first time ever being present for any of this. And it was a car accident. And I remember, I can remember everything from that phone call. Um, it was unfortunately a fatality accident. So for this to be my very first call to ever hear, it was really surprising to me. But what shocked me even more, because I we ex we know these things happen, but it was how the person handled it, how the dispatcher handled the situation. Because we've got phones ringing like crazy. Everybody's on a call because this is now a major accident in a major time of day. This is at when school has already just let out. So you've got traffic like crazy in our area. And now we have a fatality accident. And my my trainer at the time is taking the call. He's talking to the person who has now got with the driver. And all I can remember sitting there hearing is he is calm. He is telling her, every, you know, trying to give instructions on CPR, trying to give instructions on staunching the bleeding and all these things while still, while he's still maintaining that connection with her, maintaining that call and getting all the information. He has also dispatched paramedics to them. He's updated police officers with the information that needed. He is able to multitask like no other. I have never seen this before in my life. But for me, it, it you know, seeing him react the way he did and be able to get through that, I it kind of set a standard for me. Because then I was like, okay, this is what I have to be able to do. Um, it's still very hard for me to think about sometimes because all I can still hear how that call went and hear how... Because for me, my very first day, this is what I'm hearing. And it's not what you want to hear on your first day of work. But I also know at the end of it, though, is we did, they did everything they possibly could. They got there as quickly as they possibly could. Our response times were amazing. Everybody was there and on point. They worked as a team. They got the resources out there that was needed. So everything on our on their end was done perfectly to a T. Um, unfortunately, it was just one of those situations. There wasn't anything we could have done for him. But it was just amazing to be able to see that while still heartbreaking. To be able to feel two emotional emotions at one time of that extreme was kind of shocking for me. Because I, I wanted to be like, oh my gosh, that is amazing that you're able to do that. But at the same time, you, I feel like you have to kind of rein yourself back because it is a tragic moment as well. So it, it's a very emotional like roller coaster when working in dispatch with that stuff.
Oh, I was I was just gonna say that exact same thing. I was gonna <laughs> say it's like a roller coaster of emotions when when you're in dispatch, and that's your first day. That was my that, first. Oh man, and you're still here. So. Yes, I'm still here and and still thriving with it. So, okay, so it's three and a half years. So I have to ask this, especially because of how it started, which is crazy. Um, was there a moment that you can remember? whether it be a phone call, incident in dispatch, or I don't know, just reflecting on on the day, whichever. Was there a moment where you feel like that was the moment that you knew that you were doing what you were meant to be doing? Yes. So it actually came after I finished training. I was completely on my own. And if you ever had a chance to talk to anybody in my dispatch center or even my, my superiors, they'll tell you when I started, I got the worst possible calls possible. Like I, it was trauma central for me. So my very first call that I took completely on my own, no trainer, mm -hmm. no nothing. This is after about six months of training. Um, I took a very very hard call. A uh, babysitter had a seven-month-old baby she was taking care of uh, who passed away while napping. And I did everything I possibly could. But it was in that moment of taking that call, of providing all instructions, giving CPR instructions over the phone, maintaining airway, clearing out airway, doing everything that I knew how to do and getting help there, not only am I on the phone with her, I have dispatched the paramedics. We've also gotten police en route. Being able to see me now do everything that I had seen that person do my first day was kind of like, okay, this is where I'm meant to be. I am able to do this. And while, yes, it's hard. Oh, it's a struggle all the time. But the feeling I get, because for every one bad call, I have. 10, 15 amazing calls, you know, for every one person that I wasn't able to help. I've got multi multitudes of others that I was able to help, whether it be minor or something major, I was able to help with. I was able to Im improve one person's day at least once a day. And that's, that's kind of where I was like, no, this is where I'm meant to be. This is what I'm meant to do. Wow. You know, and, and, and that is, that is something to hang on to. And that's, that's why I tell a lot of people that if you don't have a journal where you're writing down some of those wins, you should really think about it because I wish I had written everything down in a journal. Luckily for me, when I started doing all of this stuff, I was blogging. So within the trenches started as a blog. So that was basically my journal. And I, I wrote down all of my calls. But for me, whether they were hard calls or uh, good calls, you know, those wins, I was writing all of them down. And when I would have those harder days, I would have something to be able to look back on, to remember and reflect on those wins. Because, you know, sometimes you get to a point where you're taking all of these calls and all of them might be crap calls. And you end up thinking, am I making a difference? Is there an impact? Is there something that I'm doing? And even though we don't see it, 
the impact is there. We might not ever know what that impact is, but we are helping a lot of people. And uh, it's, it's, it's always good to write down, uh, write down those wins. So I do, I do have to ask then, mm-hmm. it sounds like, <laughs> would you say that in the beginning, and I don't know if it's the same way now, but in the beginning that you were kind of the crap magnet for a lot of the calls that were coming yes. in? Yes, <laughs> yes, I was. If it was to be some kind of CPR call, I usually had it. Um, as horrible as this going to sound, if it had, if it involved a child, it was a call I had. Um, and it kind of became a joke there for a little bit be, when our cues would grade our calls. They were like, any call that could be wrong or could be bad was guaranteed to be one I took. Oh. <laughs> there's always, there's always one, sometimes mm-hmm. two in, <laughs> uh, in, in the center. And if you are on a team, if you're, if you're in a place where there are multiple people working at a time and you're on a team that has one or two of those, or yeah, if you have both of them on there, good luck (laughs) (laughs) because it gets crazy fast. Mm -hmm. So you ended up having all of these crazy calls. I can, I can only say you had a lot of, you know, crazy hard calls, a lot of different things coming up, especially the calls with kids and stuff, which are always hard. Mm -hmm. Um, even, even if it's a good outcome, right? You're, you're building towards the end of the call and it might be intense all the way. And then you get to the end and it's a good ending. You've got that, you know, that, that sigh of relief, right? But man, even, even those that end up good, you get that adrenaline dump and it's just nuts. It, it gets, it gets crazy. Right. Um, so because you had all of those calls in the beginning, you know, you're three and a half years in, but you're a CTO. And mm-hmm. for those who are watching and listening, you know, those in the general public, if you don't know what a CTO is, a certified uh, training officer. And so I have a question then, mm-hmm. and I always ask this question for those who are CTOs. One, why did you become a CTO? And two, it, it the, the second can be one of two things. And a lot of times when people become a CTO, it's either because one, they had crap training and it was motivation for them to become a trainer so that they can mold that next generation of 911 that's coming in so they don't have to deal with like the crap that you had to deal with or you had amazing training and you wanted to continue that legacy there at that center. Why did you become a CTO? So funny, mine's actually a mixture of both. Um, So uh, we that have, might be the first time. <laughs> yeah. So we typically try to have multiple trainers, uh, maybe have it for different phases. So that way you get a more rounded experience and learn different ways of doing things. Because our, our motto is we're not training robots. We don't want a robot on that headset. We want an act. We want a human. So everybody does things differently as long as it gets the same end result. So while I had some absolutely amazing trainers, I had some that we didn't mesh very well. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, we might not have clicked very well, but they were absolutely amazing at their job. I just wasn't a good fit for them, you know, and vice versa. Uh, so whenever I got the option to go in to become a trainer, 
I've always loved being able to help somebody and improve somebody. And for me, I'm one of those, I want to make sure that when you get through with me, when I'm done with your training, that you have every possible resource available to you. So when you are on your own, you know exactly what you need to do without hesitation, that you have all the resources that you need that I could have possibly given you. Because that's my goal. Because I don't want to set anybody up for failure. I don't want to set anybody up to drown. This isn't a sink and drown situation. You know, we don't want our community drowning. So why are we going to let our own people drown? You know, we want them to be set up as best as we possibly can. And if I'm going to step up to be the trainer that I want to be, then it's my duty to make sure I give them every possible resource I possibly can. And that's including on how to do the job, but also how to cope with the job. You know, being able to get through those hard calls, I want to be able to give them the utilities and skills that they need to be able to get past those and how to manage that and how to be able to kind of compartmentalize whenever they get those hard calls and how to be able to go from one call to the next call. Because sometimes we don't always get that small break in there to kind of take a step back and breathe. Sometimes we just have to hit that next button to answer the next call. And so being able to teach them how to get through those moments and kind of take a step back as well as teach them not to make the caller's emergency their emergency. And that's been kind of my biggest focus, I think. Man, I I would have loved to have had you as a trainer. <laughs> <laughs> that is excellent. I mean, that is, that is perfect. I mean, because, you know, a, a lot of us that are getting into this or have been doing this for a while, have been in this profession, I feel like a lot of us want to leave this profession then you know in a better place than where we originally found it. And it's especially for me and and you know a lot of folks could have just a, a great, you know, track record from beginning to present time or whichever but still have that same goal of wanting to leave it in a better place because it's only going to help everyone as a whole, right? The community those out in the field, those uh, within the trenches of 911, those that are in there taking the calls and everything, and especially those that are calling in. Yeah. Like, do we, we want everyone to have a well rounded experience, which is kind of odd to say, you know, in a sense, because it's 911 and it's crazy <laughs> stuff that's happening all the time. But either way, you want to be able to to put it out there because if it's that first time that someone is calling in, they might not call again. Exactly. And I mean, mm-hmm. you think about generational, um, you know, my mom and dad, my grandparents, they would have never thought to call 911 for anything. You just don't do it. I've even caught myself like, is this a reason to call 911? <laughs> but we don't want people to think that. Right. I mean. One of my favorite stories is I had an elderly lady call 911 at 7.30 in the morning because she wanted Chinese food. That's why she called 911. Um, I politely told her, you know, Chinese isn't open at 7.30. You might have to try again after 11 o'clock. 11.30 rolls around that same day. She calls 911 again because she wants her Chinese food. (laughs) Now, fortunately, I work in an area where I am actually able to transfer her directly to the Chinese restaurant. (laughs) So I did that for her because there's just, you know, it wasn't an emergency. 
Yes, I'm I'm aware it wasn't my emergency. Maybe getting Chinese food that day was her emergency. We you just never know. Everyone's emergency is different. But it's being able to take those moments when she clearly didn't know who else to call, didn't know what else to do. So she called 911. Yes, it's not necessarily what 911's meant for, but not everybody calls it for the same reasons. Everyone's emergencies are never going to be the same. Very true. And uh, I'm I'm right there with you. You know, the, a, a lot of people hearing that might might think no, like why would you why would you do that or whatever. I mean, that's going the extra mile cuz a lot of what you're doing as well on the phone, you know, there's customer service there. Yes. And and you know that lady will remember that and when she does have a different emergency something where you know she might need police fire EMS or whichever mm-hmm. she's going to call. Exactly. She will she will end up calling and but also um you know that that also puts a a good face in a way you know, a, a good look towards the, the center as well, that you're not just like dismissing people or calls or whatever. I mean, hell, that could, that could have been someone who's just testing you guys to see how you would respond. And then yeah. you end up seeing something on social media where they're like, so I was running a social experiment or something, you know, and, exactly. and, this, is, and this is what I did, but you are the one who answered and Obviously, I mean, it sounds like there wasn't, you know, a a lot of emergencies that were going on at the time or whatever. Mm -hmm. You were able to take the time for this person and actually transfer them to where they wanted to go. So I I applaud you. Well done. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Well, and I mean, and I I believe that's what we kind of strive to do. You know, customer Mm -hmm. service is a big thing for us because whether it's customer service with the public themselves or we look at customer service with our officers and our responders as well. I mean, we need to have that good connection with them as well as with the with the public. I mean, while I wasn't busy at the moment, I didn't have anything pressing going on. It wasn't going to hurt me at all to just take that couple of extra minutes to help somebody. You know, while, yes, it's minor mm-hmm. and it might not seem like that big of a deal, but... For them, it made them have a better day. And let's face it, typically when people call 911, it is not because they're having a good day. Same with if they're calling the police department in general. It's not because they're having a good day. So taking that small couple of minutes extra to go a little bit beyond what you would expect somebody to can make a world of difference on how somebody's day turns out how they're mentally thinking on things as well i mean we never know what the what that call is gonna be you know we don't know where their mental state is when they're calling us or what can trigger them so just taking that little extra time to be a kinder person or even just that extra step to help them a little bit further if i can take that moment to do it then i'm going to every single time I love that. That is uh, that that is an excellent way to think as well. Because think about this: what if this person actually had something else that was going on there? What if they're calling for you know Chinese food or something, 
and then they immediately start whispering like there's somebody here you know and but if you if you had right away said this isn't the restaurant and also i i I don't i don't know what you want me to i I, there's not a lot i can do and then Mm -hmm. you know hung up with the person you know the person hangs up or whichever you would never know yeah you would have because anything can happen right Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get you you see, and I I think it's so we're getting into the holidays now, right? And I'm pretty sure the last couple of years it has been around the holidays where we start seeing on social media about different phone calls that has to do with you know domestic violence and ordering a pizza and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, is this the actual? procedure that dispatch is looking for and those who are watching and listening we don't have a procedure for that the whole pizza thing that's thinking outside of the box that is the person taking the call who is speaking to the person right but also listening to everything that's going on on the phone on that side Mm -hmm. and really picking up on cues and that's you know there's other techniques that go into that as well but all i'm saying is that it's not something that we're actually taught. It's just thinking outside the box. Just like when a kid caller calls, and I'm sure you've done this before your, yourself, but whenever I had a kid who would call in and there was, you know, I my mom is down or, you know, whatever it is that's going on. And they said that they didn't know their address or anything. I would start thinking outside the box. You know, mm-hmm. do you have a piece of mail or something? You know, anything that might have your address on there. And nine times out of 10, they did have something there. So all of this stuff, you know, thinking outside the box, that, that's stuff that we have to really think about during those calls. Yes, it is. And I've actually had somebody ask me about the whole pizza thing before mm-hmm. uh, when I was training them. They're like, well, when do we get to that? And I was like, we don't train on that. What we teach you to do is listen to what's not being said. You know, you've got somebody talking to you, yes, but what else are you hearing in that background? You know, yes, we take what the caller's saying, for lack of a better term, face value in that moment, but we're also hearing what's going on uh, behind their voice, what's going on in that room with them, and you kind of make an assumption there, you know, uh, I think a lot of agencies get what we call the 911 hang-ups. Mm-hmm. You know, people will call 911, hang up, or they'll call and it'll be an open line. You know, I've taken quite a few of those that it's a 911 call and they leave it open where they're not talking, but you can hear a domestic going on in the background. You can hear yelling or you can hear, you know, things breaking or something of that nature where, you know, because I am listening and I can hear that. And I can see where they're plotting out, even though I can't make contact with anybody. I have the resources available to find them. Then I'm able to put this in and we can get somebody out there to check it out. Um, You know, some places might not have all of that. So they have to go a little bit outside the box to try to find those people to get the information they need to. But it's learning to listen to that because they're like, oh, no one's answering me. Hang up the phone and try to call it back or something like that. But take that moment to listen, even if they haven't hung up, just listen to it for a couple minutes just to see what you can hear can tell you a lot about what might be going on in that moment. Because 
if you hang up and try to call them back, maybe whoever's in that house didn't know they called to begin with. Now you can escalate a situation by calling. Yes. That, oh man, (laughs) (laughs) it gives me, it, it gives me goosebumps, but also makes me miss dispatch a little bit only. And I only say that, which people listening right now is probably like, that makes you miss dispatch. <laughs> it's it's the helping is mm-hmm. is you know helping those that are in need. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I miss because there's so much stuff that goes into it. Like you're saying, listening to everything there. I remember taking a phone call once where uh, someone had called and um, it was an open line, and I'm saying hello, hello, and I can hear that they're in a vehicle, and uh, this lady picks up and. Uh, she goes, Oh, I didn't realize I called or whichever. And I'm asking the yes or no questions and everything. And it turned out that this was a rolling domestic that was going on. It wasn't physical. It was, it was Mm -hmm. verbal only, but it was starting to escalate. And I was actually able to get them to pull over when the off as, so the officer could uh, catch up and help them out and everything. And man, it's, it's those moments where you're sitting at the edge of your seat listening, getting all the information, doing everything that you can to get help out there and just hoping that it all comes together. Oh, what a rush, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's a crazy thing. Um, I meant to ask this in the beginning, but, uh, for the center that you work at, how big is the area that you cover and uh, how many people work on the floor at, at a time? Is it just one person or are there multiple people? No. So for the most part, we operate with at least four people on the floor on Mm -hmm. our day shift, which is 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. and our evening shift, 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. Our midnight shift will run three people at the minimum, which is from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. We are only a city. We don't do um, we're not a county or anything like that. So I don't know exactly how big our city is, but to kind of give you a little context there. Our, the city I work for is home office for Walmart. So Walmart Corporation is in the city I work for. So we have, it's relatively large in, in that aspect. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I can't imagine all the other stuff that you that you all deal with. But having four on at a time, um, that, that, that's kind of the equivalent of the, uh, the county the central dispatch that I was working at, um, before I, I went off on, on my own and there were three of us minimum, but on the weekend there would be four of us. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of like that whole dynamic one, of course, cause it, you know, team setting, but also you could be the person on phones taking the call, just it being open line and just typing. And if you were the one on the radios, you knew that stuff was going down because you could hear the person typing hard and fast and, and you're like, Oh, here we go. Here it goes. Yeah. So I'm just trying to refresh, refresh, refresh <laughs> until the person hits enter. And I remember there would be times in dispatch where you can tell there's so much going in and you would yell over, just hit enter already. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, that, so that we can get somebody out there, even if it's an unknown situation, just at least tell me that I'll tone it out for an unknown situation and then update them as the narrative is coming in, yeah. um, I, I always liked that, uh, that whole dynamic where 
in other dispatch centers or other people that I've spoken to, there's like 20 or 30 people on the floor at a time. And you're in different pods, right? You're in different areas. So you you don't have that direct being able to yell over, you know, to to the person on radios for something. And I, I don't know about you, but if I had worked with more or between 20 to 30 people, oh, I can't even imagine it. Like just 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 imagine sitting up over your console and just seeing like a hive. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, some of these larger, way larger, I'm talking like Dallas and uh, and Fort Worth and everything like that. Some of these really large cities have just call takers, mm-hmm. you know, where a lot of the agencies around here, you have a call taker. For example, in my agency, we have four people on. You have one person who is considered the primary call taker, but they might tone out a fire engine if need be. Um, then you have your second call taker who's going to do all medical calls, like tone out all medical EMS. But then you have two people on police side, one running primary police and secondary police. So those are our four people. Everybody's able to do the same job at the same time if need be. But then I think about these other cities where it's just call taking. All you're doing is answering a phone you're putting in the notes and it goes to the next floor or the next room that has to do the police side of it. You, we get at least some semblance of beginning middle end on that. You would get, okay, this is what happened. And I have no idea, you know, did somebody ever get out there to them? How did they have to wait for hours on end before they got a response? You just never know in that kind of setting. So I couldn't imagine working in a call center only type of environment. I couldn't do it. I love call taking, but I couldn't do it. Same. (laughs) I I am right there with you. It's just like folks that I've spoken to on this podcast who do medicals only and to do medicals only for 12 hours or more, bro. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I would be able to do it because like you, I, I, I don't, I, I loved call taking but I needed that variety. You know, it was, yeah. it was call taking to backup phones and radios where we also ran NCIC and everything else. But then, uh, you know, being on radios as well, like I, I needed that that break switching up to different positions and stuff. And it wasn't it for, for myself when I would go in for those 12 hours, it wasn't, um, you know, phones for that whole week. It, every shift I would switch, we would switch, mm-hmm. we would rotate every, every shift. Um, and, and I needed that. I, I definitely needed that. Or if, you know, someone just seemed like they were getting hammered on phones and you could tell, you know, that they were just, it, it was just, be, it was a lot, you know, sometimes we would ask like, you want to switch? Like we can switch, you know, if you want to go halfway to, you know, through the shift, um, or switch now or whatever, like we can switch. And, you know, a lot of times people wouldn't because they would say, that's my position for today. That's where I'm going to, I'm going to stay. And sometimes others would say, okay. Or if anything, sometimes you would have to say, no, you're, you're moving. (laughs) You're going to, you're going to (laughs) move, go to radios, go to backups or whatever. And, uh, you know, if you want to go back later, you can go back later. But I, I like that we were able to break it up and and be able to do different things. Now, listening to you say those hours, I have to ask, mm-hmm. when we were at the conference and I was telling my story, 
did that click with you at all when I was saying that, you know, and, and I don't think this is the same for you, but every two weeks we would switch from 6A to 2P, then 2P to 10P, and then 10P to 6A. There are only a few people that I have spoken to out of all of these years that I've been doing this that have had that 6 to 2 or 2 to 10, like you were saying just now. Yeah, so um, we actually don't have to switch. I get to mm -hmm. stay on my 6 to 2. And that's, that's it. I've been on it. You know, I don't have to, to rotate out. Um, I did take a break from six to two and mm -hmm. went two to uh, two to 10 for about a year. And I think that was the best choice I possibly could have made for my career. It made me a better dispatcher, just having the different type of call volume, different call variety and just police variety as well. Um, but yeah, it is not required for us to rotate out like that. Uh, once you get a shift, that's your shift, unless you want to move when there's an opening. Mm -hmm. Nice. So as we're going into getting close to the wrap up of this episode, which has been awesome to have you on here, I could talk to you for hours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how do you feel like this job has kind of changed you a bit? I know it's only three and a half years in, but still. There's a lot that has gone on. There's a lot that you've experienced. In what ways, uh, and, and of course, as long as you feel comfortable saying it as well, in what ways have do you feel like the job has changed you? Or this the profession, job, rather. Yeah, it has changed me a lot. Um, it has changed the way I look at things, the way I look at people. Mm -hmm. um, uh, at the point I'm in in my life, I turned extremely career driven when I took this job. I have put it kind of on a very high pedestal for me uh, because it has become such a passion for me um, with just the training aspect of it, learning as much as I possibly can with it and then progressing. I, you know, trying to pro improve health and wellness for the agencies and everything like that mm -hmm. um, it has become a real passion for me. Uh, that being said, though, it kind of can have a negative effect as well, because I have put so much time, effort and so much of my passion into my career that I've let my personal life kind of take a step back and not put as much focus on that. So I'm trying to find a nice balance between the two. Um, I remember when I was working in factory work that there would be days where I just, I didn't want to go to work. I didn't want to do it. I just, I had no problems calling in. Um, and now it's, you have, I have to be forced to take time off. I have to have my doctor <laughs> flat out tell me, uh, you have to go on X amount of leave after this, you know, procedure or whatever, just for the fact that you need to give yourself time to heal. I have become a more dedicated person now than I was. Um, I also find that I really value life in itself and people more than I ever have. I, I looked very, I looked at things in a very small way when I was working factory. It was very much my family, my kids, you know, just my very close knit circle. Whereas now I look at, at a, at a, bigger hole of who can how many people can I impact today how many people can I help improve just by a kind word or a kind gesture or, or anything of that nature and that's kind of how I've started looking at things now because I have seen more negativity 
and more negative impacts since being in this career. And I, you know, we always hear somebody has it worse. Somebody has gone through something worse. We all have a story. We all have a past. We all, for la- for unfortunately, all pretty much have trauma. Um, but we always hear somebody has it worse. Well, I'm not here because somebody has it worse. I'm here to help you. I'm here to help, you know, you get through your trauma or this person get through that one. That's what I want to do. I don't care if you don't think it's very major, if it's very small. It doesn't matter to me the size of it. What I can do to help is what I want to do. It doesn't matter what it is. Even if it's something as small as listening. Um, I have found nine times out of ten the people that have called in that are suicidal or having thoughts. They just need somebody to listen. And I thrive in being able to be that person to listen for them because I can be a great listener. I can also be a great talker, but I, I can be a great. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's interesting how this profession and the people that we speak to really put life in a perspective mm-hmm. and how uh, it, it can change you as well in a in, in the sense that as you were saying, you know, your dedication is a lot different and so many things have, have changed and and you've learned so many things as well. And I I think it's like that for a lot of us. And I think it comes with being empaths, you know, being an empath, putting ourselves in their shoes and, and, and really, um, you know, connecting it's those connections that, but not just that also realizing how powerful we are with just our voice our greatest weapon our voice keeping people calm getting them help as fast as possible having that connection with someone that you have no idea who they are right you know a lot of them you know calling in complete strangers and stuff but there's this connection and i think it's just because we're human you know yeah. that's that's how it is it's that human connection and they're depending on us and and we want to help them the best that we can every single time. And we want others to do the same because what if it's one of our family members that's calling in, we want them to get that same level of, of service and, and attention that we're putting out there. Right. Exactly. So as we go into the wrap up of this episode and with the talk about putting life into perspective and everything else, it's three and a half years again, but with a lot of stuff that has happened. And with that said, if you could go back in time with the knowledge that you have now to talk to yourself in the beginning of your dispatch career in this profession, what advice would you give yourself? Just keep going. As hard as things might have felt in the moments, it was completely worth it. The sleepless nights, the tears I've cried, while hard, yes, but at the end of it, was worth it every single time. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much for for being a guest on the podcast, but also for what you do in this profession and just your whole entire outlook. Thank you. This has been awesome. 
Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this and I love talking to you. It's been absolutely great. Yes, it's been good talking with you as well. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more here in just one moment. I will be right back with you. Um, for those who are watching and damn, this was really, this was good. This was an excellent episode. I love doing this. I'm fascinated with, with people's, you know, stories and, and everything, especially when it comes to 911, just something that I love so much. If you have any comments, questions, or you want to be a guest on the show, you can email us, and that's going to be wttpodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that is wttpodcast at gmail.com. You can become a supporter of the podcast, whether it be on Patreon or Facebook, and that is uh, patreon.com slash wttpodcast on Facebook. It is facebook.com slash within the trenches podcast slash support. But to make it easier for everyone who's watching and listening, just simply go to links at nope not links at <laughs> links dot co slash wtt podcast and that's links with two eyes dot co slash wtt podcast this broadcast has been sponsored by in digital leader next gen core services and again a shout out to subscribers of the podcast thank you so so very much make sure to look out for dare to be great five uh, you can, uh, you know, still purchase, imagine listening your worst days are every day. That's book one in a series of books that are coming out. Book two is already available on Amazon and any retailer that you can find. It is up there for pre-order and that is going to launch August 4th of 2024 and people are already picking it up on pre-order. So make sure to get yours as well. And this can be seen on Facebook, YouTube, as well as LinkedIn Live and X. And then you can listen 24-7 on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, your favorite podcasting app, and within the trenches.net. Have a good one, everyone, and we will see you in the next one.